Today, we're talking to Cooper from Thanks about product development philosophy, workplace gratitude, and more. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. What is Thanks and how do people use it? Yeah, absolutely. So at a high level, Thanks is a relationship building tool. Uh, If you think about it, people like to do business with people they like. Thanks makes it really easy to show appreciation, whether that's to a client, to a prospect, to a colleague, uh, whomever. And that gesture of appreciation, you know, that can be, you know, if you know someone's going to the airport uh, and it's raining, you can send them a ride share. Um, If they've had a long day, you know, someone's been um, really busting their butt for you, being able to send them a night off from cooking um, and, or, you know, if they've got a big meeting coming up, send them a um, caffeine boost and what that really translates to. You know, so each of those gestures of appreciation is a, it's all delivered digitally uh, to the recipient. So you never have to know anybody's, you don't have to worry about like, what's their address or anything like that. You know, we have both digital and physical thanks on the platform. If it's a physical item, the recipient, when they choose to, re- you know, if they choose to redeem it, they're asked to input their address. So the place they prefer to be shipped. The other cool thing about thanks, is, you know, the redemption process is the recipient also has the option to donate that value to charity too. Um, so we partner with a company called Cause that uh, is a charitable donation platform. So you can literally donate to any 501c3 in the country of your choice um, with thanks. But getting back to kind of what the thanks is. So that coffee break, you know, might translate to a cup of coffee at local or national um, coffee establishment. What our clients found was like, all right, that 1200 bucks that we would have spent on one client to, you know, fly our folks out there, take them to a nice dinner and so on. We can turn around and have a similar level of impact to 10 clients by sending them uh, $120 worth, you know, of a gesture of appreciation or something like that. Nice bottle of a cocktail kit, nice bottle of alcohol or a night off from cooking, things like that. So it's this ability to kind of have a outsized impact and leverage portion of your T&E spend or portion of your employee appreciation spend on these kind of small and large gestures of appreciation has been kind of what's been really powerful. So the cool thing about thanks is anyone can hop on the platform and use it. We're not a SaaS model. There is no recurring or annual subscription fee to use thanks. So anyone can go to thanks.com, sign up, create an account and start using it. We're purely transaction based as a business model. Why did you start at the company? You're not the founder, are you? No, no. Okay. Um, Thanks was founded in 2016 uh, in New York City and moved down to Tennessee uh, kind of early 2020. So I joined Thanks in October of 21. And it was kind of one of those things where you hear the elevator pitch of thanks and you instantly get it. You know, it's a B2B 
gratitude platform. It's kind of one of those things where you think about it a little bit more and realize like, man, this is industry agnostic. It is great for multiple teams or kind of departments within an organization as well. You know, HR, sales, customer experience, all of that. So what attracted me to it really was the, A, the total addressable market of the potential user base. And then also the company had already found product market fit. It was growing really fast, kind of needed someone to kind of come in and take over and, and help just kind of grow the product discipline within the company. So it just sound it, it was a really cool opportunity and kind of one of those things where I couldn't really pass it up. So where did you learn product? Like what prepared you for this experience? Yeah. So I'd say I've got about 10 years of experience in technology. Uh, I actually got my start. I was living in New York city about 10 years ago and my first role in tech was as a project manager for a custom software development company. Um, we were a consultancy, so we'd build custom software for other companies and acting as sort of the, the go-between between the, the client and translating the client's business needs and then talking with the, our developers and you know translating those into technical requirements and back and forth and, and all of that. So I, I was in that role for about three and a half years. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience. I didn't know it at the time, but it really laid a great foundation for my career and product because I got to see, A, like how the sausage is made from a development perspective. Understand, you know, I was doing QA, writing user stories, um, learning about technical considerations, scalability, performance, all those sorts of things. And then also working with the clients because we're coming in on a project basis, but of course you want to continue to kind of grow that account and deliver value. So to do that well, you have to learn about their business and then identify other opportunities or other ways that technology and custom software development can help them grow their business. So this was before I even knew product was a thing, uh, really, a product with a capital P. So um, it was just something I, I really enjoyed doing and ended up moving down to Nashville after about four years in New York. And I went to a product meetup uh, in Nashville and ended up meeting a gentleman who named Tom Noser, who was hiring a product team for this healthcare company out of California, but it'd be a remote team in Nashville. And so that was my first product role, um, official product role. Uh, and then it's kind of progressed ever since. And when you joined this startup that's in you know this gratitude industry yeah. and they wanted to expand and improve their product discipline, where was it at when you came in and where is it at today? Was it like the Wild West where the undisciplined monkeys just run around <laughs> throwing code? Or <laughs> No, I, I will give them a, a lot of credit to our CEO, Brendan, who was having to assume some of the, the product responsibilities. He's, he has a um, background in, in product management. Um, the VP of operations was also doing some of the, the product um, roles. But it was one of those things where... 
once a company gets to large enough size and um, traction that you know you can get by early on without a head of product. You know that can be the the CEO, and you know a lot of times that is the CEO for startups as they're finding product market fit or you know as they're working on their MVP and so on. Product isn't typically a job function that you need to fill right away when you're starting out um, with a company or you know building a startup. But it kind of becomes a point where you need someone who owns the customer experience, you know, the user experience, who owns the is is able to talk to users, um, is able to interface with developers uh, about what to build and you know what's that going to take and prioritize and all that. And it it very quickly becomes a full time role that you need someone to fill. So. Um, the, I came in, they'd done a phenomenal job. You know, they had, there were some, some folks who were filling a, a product capacity before I joined, but there was kind of a, a vacuum and then they needed, uh, someone to come in and kind of just take product and, uh, help build out that entire function for the company. I want to talk about layoffs and the economy before we started actually recording, we pulled up layoffs.fyi yeah, and sure. we were talking about how, in the past quarter, there were more layoffs than the entire initial part of the zombie apocalypse yeah. that was COVID. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. What is your take on the the economy and the layoffs? Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, recently, I kind of dug up a Sequoia Capital had put together a a deck in like May of last year, and they called it "Adapting to Endure." Um, is the name of the deck. Uh, if you guys have show notes, I'd love to give a link to it so uh, folks could check it out. And one of the slides talks about, and you know, it's looking back at, it's trying to take lessons from earlier kind of recessions and things like that, and and helping their founders or the you know the companies they're investing in navigate what you know is looking to be or may already be. Um, the recession that kind of we're currently experiencing. And, and one of the slides that really stuck out to me, uh, they called it survival of the quickest. And it's companies who had done a, we'll call it a cut exercise where they looked at their expenses, they looked at their R and D, um, head count, all of that. And the companies who acted the fastest in immediately dropping their expenses to increase their run rate, uh, had a, much higher chance of survival throughout the rest of that recession than companies who did it kind of piecemeal where like maybe they'll lay off, you know, headcount in one department and then six months later, another department and so on. And it makes a lot of sense because and part of the problem is cut off like layoffs and uh, cuts, especially like of this magnitude, it's, it's really demoralizing for, the employees who are left at the company because they don't know if they're next or what's going on there. So the better you can, if you can do it just once and then retain and, you know, maintain and retain, you know, the rest of your employees, that becomes kind of the name of the game to, to survive the recession, kind of slowly build up back up to, to where you were kind of pre-cuts. But that's, 
one of the things that I think is a really compelling use case of thanks is adding thanks into your employee retention strategy. So we're not a replacement for your employee retention strategy. You know, you're not going to cup of coffee your way to maintaining your entire, um, the remaining folks on, on your team. But, you know, and I, I hope everyone does have a, a, a solid retention strategy. But the, the cool thing is, is, you, you know, you can, you can weave in thanks as another tool in your tool belt to be able to make the folks on your team feel, you know, appreciated and recognized and, yeah, well, we use it. Yeah, we love it. Yeah, that's how we got connected. Uh-huh. We are we've been using it for I think well over a year now. Yeah, and we send it to all of our past guests, and then all of the past guests of the shows that we manage, mm-hmm. and it works out really well. The only feedback I have from a product is chill out with the bank transactions because there's <laughs> every time there's a refund for like 357 or it fills up my my bank account's bank statement. I'm like, yep. why don't they pull them and then like batch them? Why is it all happening in real time? No, that's that's a that's a great point. So and that, that is definitely something we're aware of. I mean there it happens as well um with credit card transactions too and refunds back to the credit card. So what we're working on currently is um, revising our our strategy around refunds to avoid all those kind of incremental charges that get posted back to uh, your payment method. So we're definitely we're we're well aware of that, and it's uh, it's come in here, uh, oh, you know, classic product guy fashion. I right, you know, I've I've learned over time not to uh, actually you know give hard hard dates because. Winds can change, but it is something we are actively working on. I do the Apple strategy. Well, I'll use a season. It's uh, coming in fall. Yes. Yeah, it's coming in summer. It's coming in spring. So we'll okay. say that. Yeah, yeah. that's exciting uh, because it makes sense. Well, first of all, it's just such a small thing as far as feedback. I just think it's funny because it also acts as marketing. Like I'm always very aware of thanks because I see it <laughs> every time I look at my bank account. Yeah. You know, and then I thought the other day, I was like, oh, I'm going to be talking to him. I wonder why there isn't like a pool of money where we're, you know, depositing $100 and then when it hits $20, it deposits another $100. You know, I've yeah. used some credit system, like uh, I think my, my transactional email system uh-huh. works like that. Right. And I was like, well, I wonder what they're going to do that. But so we actually do have a, uh, balance method, uh, balance payment method where, and I, we can, we could take a look at how your account is set up. Um, but it, and it works like that. You deposit a set amount of, you know, funds on the platform and then just draw down from that. And so any refunds get posted back to that balance on the platform oh, the and never, never hit your, yeah. your bank account. That's an ID 10 T error, right? The idiot error. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, t- I'll talk to my team about that. It's just a switch. You could probably flip and move to that sort of accounting. Yeah. Method. Well, I mean, it, I'd say that's more on, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take, I'll share some of that, you know, from, a just a product awareness, yeah. uh, take, take away. Yeah. Um, the more, so. you know, you know, <laughs> well, and that's the thing, like, so with products, you know, if I could go back, tell my kind of younger self, just because you've shipped the feature, you're not done. Like it's not, there's no such thing as like you build it and they will come. It is shipping. It is, is really half the battle because then you've got to focus on adoption and making sure that 
you've got all the different, you're using every lever possible to make sure that your users are aware of and understand the value of the new thing that you just spent the past few sprints working on and devoted resources to. So that means making sure that your account management team is well-versed in the value and, and has like, you know, a list of their accounts that they're going to go and promote this thing to or, or switch them over to and making sure that your support team um, knows how to handle any incoming questions that come to it. And, you know, if it warrants being a part of the taking a look at your sale, sales team's demo scripts and things like that, and whether it you know, is weaved in there, if it's enough of a value proposition to be part of that um, sales conversation. So that's just something where it's like, yeah, just because you've built it and it's live, you really gotta monitor that adoption um, and make sure that it actually is providing the value that, um, you know, your original hypothesis when you decided to prioritize that feature uh, is delivering. Yeah, the communication of it is incredibly important. I also was talking earlier with a reliability engineering mm. expert. I've had mm -hmm. him on a couple times, really cool guy. And he is writing a new book called Time to Reliability. Okay. Now, he comes from the physical manufacturing world. Sure, But he yeah. does software and he takes the principle, like lean is a manufacturing principle. Exactly, right? Toyota and- Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. And so he, he takes those principles and, and applies them over. But when he was talking about time to reliability, he says most people, when they use the word complete, like delivered, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's delivered. But what complete really means, whatever your definition of it might be, but what it really means is that plus recovery time plus the communication time, mm. plus everything else. When can you pull 80% of your people off of that project? Yeah. You know, or, or that feature for our, for our world. Because uh -huh. they, they do, you know, they manufacture something and then that's, that's it. The team goes and manufactures something else. Yeah. And, and the physical, but, you make a router, you do that version, the router's shipped, you know, you do some software updates or maybe some exactly. failure You've update. got the assembly line all figured out and then everything's just, you know, it starts humming and then you're able to devote those resources to the, the next, next router. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's an entirely different router. Yeah. Yeah. So when he was talking about, you know, that, when, when do you consider it done or how is it reliability? He says most people want it. They, they really focus as far as leadership goes on the deployment of it. When is it out there? When is it in the hands? And he says, that's not what you want. Yep. You want, when is it reliable? Mm -hmm. When can you drop 80% and then put those people on another project and just do the normal maintenance? Exactly, yeah. In Logically, it makes sense that what you want to avoid is becoming what's called like a feature factory where you're kind of measuring the quality of your product department or your technology department on their output, you know, how much are they shipping? Like how much, how many new features are they rolling out? And what you really want to focus on is outcomes. So from a product perspective, that means like, all right, starting with the metric that you want to influence and then rather than starting with a feature you want to build and then building that and then hoping it works, you start with the metric you want to influence. You think about, all right, what are all the different, what are all the different ways that we might be able to influence that metric? Some of it may be product related, something to build into the product, uh, improve user experience, make stuff clearer. Some of it might be marketing related or things like that. And 
depending on resources and your, I don't know, appetite for risk and things like that, then determining, okay, you're, so you're starting with a hypothesis that we think building this feature is going to influence this metric. And then once you've shipped that feature, still continuing to monitor it to make sure it's moving that needle in the right direction. And if it isn't, then going back, you know, revisit your prior assumptions and see like, you know, and I mean, what's the phrase like, you know, it's only failure if you don't like learn from your mistakes or something like that. So learn from, uh, understand like, all right, these are the assumptions we made. Here's our hypothesis. Why didn't it work out? And how do we need to kind of rethink about this? And then continue to work on um, focus, you know, improving that metric and whether that's building something else or uh, continuing to refine that, that thing you just shipped. So I, I totally agree with, um, you know, I see how that relates to the, the physical world, physical product world. Yeah. What feature are you building right now, if you can talk about it publicly, that you're super excited about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very reductive, but there are two types of users on Thanks. There are those who are great at gratitude already. And... So they take to the platform, they understand how to use it. You know, oftentimes their company has given them a, a budget of money to um, use each month towards uh, gratitude and gestures of appreciation. They're able to fully utilize that and, um, you know, they're off to the races and it's not a problem. But then you have other users who gratitude, maybe it doesn't come naturally to them. Like, I'll be honest it's a personal area of growth for myself is recognizing, you know, both in my personal life and in uh, my work life, recognizing that, you know, I need to make sure to show the folks who are important to me, make sure that they understand that they're important to me. And, you know, thanks is one way that I can do that um, by being thoughtful and, you know, pairing a nice, you know, gesture, like a cup of coffee with a thoughtful message or something like that. But it's really kind of understanding what are the opportunities or different ways that thanks can be leveraged to help those folks who, you know, maybe they don't have a mental playbook of when to send, you know, what item to send at a certain time. So one of the things we're working on is, uh, you know, we call it a use case, use cases feature. Uh, it's more like, like a playbook. So each department, there's like a parent category. So you might have a sales category, you might have a customer success category or a HR category. And then, you know, as subcategories within that are scenarios, we'll call it. So for sales, it might be pre-demo, post-demo, you know, second touch point. Uh, for HR, it might be birthdays or employee milestone, uh, you know, employment milestones, things like that. And then in those subcategories are curated thanks that are specific to that scenario. And so I'm excited about it for a couple reasons. Number one, I think it's going to really help um, folks who may kind of struggle with understanding all the different ways that you could use thanks, not only within their own department, but also from like a, you know, a sales team might be leveraging thanks uh, very effectively, 
but their marketing team might also benefit from it. So they can see like, oh, here are marketing use cases. Let me tell our head of marketing about this. So I think that there's also kind of a, a bottoms up growth strategy there too, or organic growth strategy of, of spreading it. Um, but then when you start thinking about teams coming on the platform at our, our enterprise tier, that they'll have the ability to customize those playbooks to where you know it can be their specific scenarios and so you know turn it on just for this team for you know their customer success team so they've got a playbook built right into the platform that they can leverage right away that's pretty cool yeah that'll be really useful if you start going into enterprises as well right because they would they would really use that exactly. heavily. You yep. Know, this is this is how we give thanks at IBM, or this is how we do it at you know this company. Mm-hmm. We found it because I had for two or three years wanted to send merch to our guests. Like you come on the show, boom, send merch. But it's such a big undertaking. I would have to you know you got third party logistics and then uh-huh. building the merch and then the orders and the re- it was just this huge ordeal yeah right yep and after a couple of rounds of people suggesting that and then us not really making a lot of progress at it somebody brought up thanks and I was like oh so I don't <laughs> have to do anything right and right. then if they don't accept the thanks it rolls back into my account and so I can look at all the pretty transactions uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I we started it and uh, since then we we haven't stopped it's been great and then so we did it at first there uh-huh. past guest and then our sales team had just heard about it and then we on Mondays and Thursdays we do all hands okay so yep. we only have 15 people but we have sales and production, and I like them understanding that there's no magic paycheck fairy. Yeah. That, like we make sales, we use that money to make our paychecks and to pay our bills. Uh-huh. And so I like everybody really understanding what's going on. And thanks came up, and one of my sales guys approached me and he said, Hey, can we do this? Uh, and I said, Yeah. You can definitely do that. He's like, when someone signs a proposal or when someone's going dark, that, so we actually use it when customers go dark in the sales cycle or we win deals. Mm-hmm. So a contract's out, they've said yes, it's, everything's going, and then you know they just disappear for yep. in B2B sales because they're waiting on budget approval and they don't want to talk to you until they get the yes or there's whatever it may be. So on the in-between, we notice that if we send them a thanks and with like a nice message exactly. and sort of, you know, taking it, you, you take the relationship to a different plane. Yeah. Right from being very cordial and professional, you mean, ah, you know, here's a coffee. Hey, you know, when you guys get to it, just let us know. Or we, he says something casual, and then they'll often reply really quick, like, "Yeah, we're just really waiting on this one thing." And he's like, "Okay, cool." Versus if you just sent a professional update, they would probably just ignore it again. Yeah. So we use it for go dark scenario. Uh-huh. We use it for one proposal scenario, uh, but it's not automated. So when yep. it's when a proposal's one, our sales team is is just trained that you know they do it, and if something stands out about the individual, they'll customize it. Mm-hmm. For example, I think there was some sports-related thing David was telling me about. Do you guys have any sports stuff on the platform? We do. I mean, we we have like the thanks are are themed, so it could be you know around Super Bowl. There are a lot of party like Super uh, Bowl tickets. No, okay. no, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of party options. Um, but and, th- and that you know credit to our um, amazing uh, curation team, we we keep things very topical, uh, so that way 
it's helpful when it's like it's not generic. Uh, so yeah, but we we do have uh, sports related things. Yeah, that's the hard part. Is if you just hook it up to your CRM and deal one proposal triggers an API call that says thanks, you know, or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't think that's the sentiment of of what you guys are trying to accomplish. That's not, you know, automated gratitude. I mean, it doesn't sound like the worst idea in the world, but to you would want to personalize it, at least pull it up into a queue. So where it like queues up in your system and it's like, hey, here's the thanks you want to send out, personalize mm-hmm. it and then send it out. That would kind of like assistive technology. Exactly. But just just sending a generic message. Our, our sales, so our, you know, to that point, you know, our sales team, you know, as a part of their process, they send a, they send the thanks 30 minutes before every sales demo. Um, and it really helps with, you know, the, you know, call it like the appearance rate or like, you know, making sure that folks appear, but it's also a great primer because they could do the, the recipient gets to experience what their their users might do or might receive, um, but it's not automated. You know, they're they're still crafting that message um, to the person. It's just kind of baked into their sales playbook in terms of like this is what I do thirty minutes before every demo. Yeah, so, so you can personalize it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yep. when it stand when some attribute stands out, they'll personalize it. I think he sent some sports thing one time to person who uh-huh. had brought that up on a call or they were on a video call and he saw in the background a ton of sports stuff. <laughs> yeah. But if we don't have any, you know, very distinguishable features, we'll do a, I think our most common one that we do is the, like a coffee or a brownie, like some- Probably the thanks a latte. Thanks a latte. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly uh-huh. the one. I see that one a lot. So that's, that's our, that's our go-to when yeah. we, when we don't have something that's really standing out about somebody. And it's really amazing what a- Comparatively speaking, small gesture, you know, that's a, that might be a $10, $11 send to the, the recipient, the kind of outsized impact that that can have when paired with a thoughtful message. And that's, that's really what we try and um, encourage our users to do is like, and that's why the email templates that, that, that the emails that the recipients receive, the message in front is front and center, you know, the, the thanks item that is accompanying it is almost secondary. You know, it's really, it's a way to demonstrate that you were listening, uh, that, you know, beyond kind of like a, you know, superficial level, like you're really trying to get to know and develop the relationship with that person. So that's why we really encourage, you know, a thoughtful message, uh, at the top of the template. Yeah. It's it's good, and you can people use comedy when Halloween came around and we were getting <laughs> ghosted. They did a ghost joke, you know, with Halloween. Uh huh. Yep. I don't think it candy or some chalk. They they found a way to take one of your standard like thanks a latte offerings yep. and use words to make a joke about Halloween, them being ghosted, ghost, and then here's a treat. I mean the the opportunity for for creativity and. Uh, sometimes excellent, sometimes terrible puns is yes. uh, endless on the, yes. on the platform. Actually, pun marketing is the most successful thing we do to get new meetings. Okay, yeah. For us. Isn't that crazy? That's awesome. You know, yeah. I found this out. Uh, you have you have a little one, so uh-huh. Frozen must be playing a lot uh, at your uh, household. Sure, sure. So I had been writing these marketing emails for the podcast production services that we do. Yep. And yeah, I was just 
ROI or yeah, just the standard type of stuff. Instead of having a team, you know, uh. use us because it's more cost effective. And it, and then I was just really frustrated one day because the kids were going off. Frozen was on for like the millionth time, and yep. I had to be in the room. So usually I'm in uh-huh. my office, but sure, I had sure. to be there because uh-huh. my wife. Yeah. Someone was going on with my wife. And I just started making all of these jokes about like how Sven thinks we're the best podcast production company on <laughs> earth and like Elsa agrees. And and then I just yeah. started using every little thing I could do. Uh, and I sent it to my team and they're like, no, they're like, no, 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 no. Like, dude, that's like, you can't do that. That's crazy. Uh-huh. And, I, and I said, well, that's usually, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm like, well, that's usually the sign that it's a good thing to do. Yeah. Like, let's, let's give it a go. And I did. And we booked more meetings off of that one email than we had booked in the entire history of that product line. Cause we've only been doing the podcast production stuff for like a year or so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not been going on forever. We booked like so, I think like 12 meetings off of that one email. And then I did a series. I just kept doing different pop culture things. I did a Shrek one. I, you know, took, we did a 4th of July one where I made a bunch of 4th of July jokes yep. and, and it just works so well. And I was asking myself because, you know, I'm not a marketing guy, right? Right. It's like, why is this working? And it, and I found it's working because it's just how you would normally interact with a human. It's a, it's a human to human thing. Like I don't walk up to you and just give you this static sales pitchy email. I mean, right. You're a technical leader. You get this stuff on your LinkedIn all day. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Right. If you imagine, it's a great exercise I like, but if you imagine the message that they send you, is that something if you were at the mall and you saw someone wearing like an IBM shirt and those, like, I'm an IBM CTO, <laughs> would you walk up to them and then just start talking about yourself? Doing the, yeah. Here's exactly. all my awards. <laughs> we have people overseas, outsourced developers. We do Node.js and list 87 languages. Yeah. You know, it, you wouldn't do that. No, not at all. You, yeah. You'd look for some, some sort of common ground, like something, something that makes it a human really, to be honest, like, um, way to build that connection. A yeah, funny story, uh, similar vein, not, not using, not using thanks, but you know, we, so we've been working with this partner. We're trying to get an integration with their expensing, uh, platform. Uh, it'd be a real big win for us, especially, you know, from an enterprise perspective and just kind of long cycle times when it comes to like hearing back from them. And, you know, we'd, we'd have a fruitful conversation and then it'd be like two weeks and wouldn't hear anything. And so just, you know, kind of, you get on a whim, just like you were saying, I took a photo of John Cusack from say anything with the speaker above his head and just put our logo in place of the speaker. That was the only thing I sent in the message, uh, in the email, uh, to them and ended up getting a response back, uh, you know, probably less than an hour later. So just, I don't know, little things like that. It, another benefit to you and why, why Thanks is such a great company to work for is because literally everyone at the company comes into work each day and their job is to help spread gratitude. So like, I mean, you couldn't, a, like, couldn't ask for a better gig there. You know, we're, we're not mission critical software. We're not, you know, a healthcare SaaS company. You know, we're not doing like, you know, and we're not an EMR or anything like that. So there's just, there's a, there's a brevity or there's a playfulness to the office environment and our interactions and so on that uh, everyone at the company really kind of, you know, lives and breathes the brand, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. No, it's, it sounds like a great place to work. Are you mostly in office in Tennessee? We are. Yeah. So, um, 
feels like we're <laughs> the the weird kids now who actually uh, go into the office. So we're in office four days a week. But that that being said, you know, it's still a very flexible work environment in terms of you know if if something comes up, if a little one is sick or something like that, able to uh, work from home when needed. But yes, we we do have uh, an office just south of Nashville that uh, that everyone comes into. We picked up a lot of great talent from some of these companies forcing their people back into the office sure. full time, just yeah. right back to it. And that was that was good. It was sort of the the yang to the ying of us. Like we hired a bunch in COVID, but mm-hmm. we ended up, and you'll appreciate this because us as in technology, we work remote more frequently. Yeah. It's not such a foreign thing for us. Well, I picked up a bunch of salespeople in in during COVID mm-hmm. who had no choice but to work remote. Yeah. And when things opened back up, I lost 80% of my sales team because they all went and rejoined in-person things because the oh, really? salespeople wanted to be in person. Yep. And then, so that was the rough part, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And then coming back around, I realized that I sort of didn't connect those dots as a engineering type leader or, or executive because I should have, if, if it wasn't COVID, I would have walked them through the normal, do you like working remote? You know, what do you, what is your experience? Have you figured out how to solve the work from home depression concept? Yeah. Like I want to know their maturity is for, cause it's, man, there's so much to working at home. Oh, right? absolutely. It's a, it's a whole entire skill, but I didn't do that because of COVID. I was just like, oh, great salespeople. They need stuff. And it's yep. really easy for them to move now. But uh, yeah. And, and now, now it's come full circle and a lot of positive has happened because we've brought on great people. But I like that you're, the way you're describing it is you didn't come full JP Morgan chase dropping the hammer. I think it was JP Morgan that was like, you're back in office now or, I or mean, something it was like JP that. JP Morgan, like Tesla did that too. Or, yeah. you know, I mean, also Twitter, t- Twitter. Yeah. 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 So before prior to joining Thanks, I had, you know, I was working from home. I'd worked from home for the past like seven years before joining Thanks and was kind of worried about, because I'd been a pretty staunch evangelist of, working from home and the benefits of that, um, of which there are many, uh, especially for technology positions, uh, you know, developers product as well, where you benefit from being able to get into a flow state, uh, large blocks of uninterrupted time. And so there has been kind of a transition period, but I am also seeing the benefits of working in an office, especially if everyone else is there, because I think the hardest thing to do is have some sort of hybrid model where you've got half the folks in office and then half the folks remote. It doesn't work. No, unless, unless you're still a remote first company where your processes and your communication channels are asynchronous and like you're able to, otherwise it's very easy for the remote employees to essentially become second-class citizens because they're not in the room when some decisions are being made. They lose out on those serendipitous conversations by the water cooler, the refrigerator, and the break room, overhearing things. So that has been a benefit from a product perspective to working um, in an office is being able to really quickly engage with our sales team or our marketing team and and talk about something without having to schedule a meeting or... um, blow up their Slack channel or something like that. So, yeah. And I, I like both. Yeah. To be honest with you, we've had to make, we, our company started out as in person. Mm. 
COVID happened and then we had to make a conscious decision to be fully remote. And even when we come together, maybe some people are together in a specific area. When we do the team calls, everybody goes into a separate quiet area and they all join from their computer. So yeah. that we're all on the same on the same playing field with the with the team meetings and things like that. That's nice. Because we'll yeah. do our we'll do our, you know, conference or annual thing where we bring everybody in. Sure. And and so it's important to, you know, handle those moments. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think um so examples of companies that do remote at scale very well, like automatic, the mm -hmm. makers of WordPress and everything, you know, fully distributed team and all that. And it's kind of funny. They don't actually save any money by not having offices because they end up spending so much money bringing all their folks together a couple times a year for those team building trip, you know, um, destination events and so on. But the company itself is kind of asynchronous. It's a writing culture, you know, kind of asynchronous communication channels to start. So I want to talk a little bit more about the economy. Okay. What's your feeling? You've got peers, you've got friends, you made a new friend today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what are they feeling as far as the economy? Are people tense? Are people relaxed? Do they think we're at the bottom of the curve at the top of the curve? Where are we at? Oh man. Um, You're an economist, correct? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Armchair economist. Part of it, I think, depends on where you are in your career right now. Like, you know, as, as someone who is, gosh, like 15 years removed from college, you know, college and like all that. Of course, I, I was coming out of college in 07, 08. So that wasn't the greatest time to be trying to find, you know, <laughs> a job when, um, but here, like, I think this time it's, it's even more daunting because you have the inflation piece alongside with, um, there's, and everything's just more expensive. So it's interesting. There were, I think there was an article in the wall street journal recently about how, although there have been a lot of layoffs in the tech sector, the time to find a new job is still relatively short for folks in technology. So I think, yes, it, it sucks to lose your job, um, especially if it's, you know, through no fault of your own or, or anything like that. Um, just as like kind of a, a nature of business. But for the most part, I don't think folks in technology are having too hard of a time bouncing back or finding a new, finding a new gig. It's harder, you know, coming in as like an entry level person. If you've got teams that are already kind of you know, they might be stretched thin due to you know, reduced resources or headcount. Um, having the proper kind of mentorship structure within the organization to grow kind of junior or entry-level employees into roles might be taxed. But at the same time, yeah, you know, we're looking at these numbers of Amazon laying off 18%, um, Coinbase 20%, uh, Salesforce, 10% and so on. But if you actually look at how much those companies grew their headcount at the start of COVID, where they, you know, they added 50% to their, you know, they, you know, in some, it's almost you know, doubled their headcount during COVID when everyone was, was going remote. So now there's a little bit of a market correction, but I'd say, you know, for the majority of companies, 
it's not as if they're going back to pre-pandemic levels. They might just be cutting back on more speculative investments, you know, R&D or, or taking a, a harder look at things that might not be delivering the expected value and cutting those teams and just focusing on their core product offerings. The free money went away. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, the amount, of, <laughs> the amount of money we got as a business and the amount of opportunity that was available. At first, I was of the mindset, oh, I'm not going to take take the the free money or whatnot because I don't know. Yeah. Just I'm a very self-reliant type of person. And then it occurred to me when that opportunity you know, came up, I thought to myself, I said, okay, I'm in a marketplace and we're competing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and if all of my competitors are just grabbing the money, well, that's going to create inflation later on. And this is like right when COVID started. I was like, that's oh. going to create inflation because that's, well, you don't even have to, you could go do your 101, you could do the first day of your first economics class and understand this stuff. Right. right? It's not super complicated. You put more money in. Yeah. And, and so I said, well, now I have to take it. I'll take, I'll take every freebie that they're giving me because every single one of my competitors are doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to change the entire marketplace. And if I sit there and say, oh, I'm not going to take it, then yeah. it's just going to re- uh, increase my chances of failure. Yep. Exactly. But then right when that spigot turned off, you know, then that's when the layoffs started because they were paying people to keep more people and they were paying you to hire people. Mm-hmm. Like you were incentivized to keep the person versus letting them go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that ruins competition. Right. I just want to touch back briefly yeah. to the product conversation we had earlier about communication. Sure. Do you have a product communication person on your team that's communicating with all of these departments mm-hmm. or is it part of the product leader's role? Is, is it separate from the product leader, a communications person that goes around and interfaces with the company or no? Yeah, that's a great question. So ultimately it's the product leader's responsibility. We, we do have a product marketing person on our team. Brenna, she's fantastic. She helps us out with you know, client facing release notes and updates and, and so on. But at the end of the day, it's the job of the product leader to make sure that and I, ideally, you're doing this well before the product's been launched. You know, when you're kind of in the that discovery phase where you're still kind of ironing out, like, what's the value proposition of this? Like, how do we, you know, it's the product person's role to kind of get that feedback internally and also from clients to kind of evangelize the opportunity or you know, what we're looking at building and, and really kind of smoke test it with everybody. So that way you're not surprised on release day when suddenly like, oh, you know, we've got a handful of clients that this won't work for. So we've got to turn it off for them or something like that. So I think it's a, it's one of those things where it's like a, a continuous part of the process. There's a portion of it during the discovery phase, um, well before you've kind of committed to building it and, and really ironed out what the functional requirements are and the user stories and um, handed it off to the development team. And then post-release, it's continuing to sell essentially the new functionality to the users um, as well as your folks internally. Because, you know, the better you sell your team on it, the better they can kind of scale that messaging out to um, their contacts. All right. So we're going to enter wrap-up mode now. Best piece of leadership advice that you've ever received. You've heard this piece of advice. You put it into action. It's stuck with you. 
What was it? It's okay to say you don't know the answer to something. I think there's a tendency uh, to want to be the hero or not show that you don't know something. But what I've found is you can, you end up getting yourself in trouble that way. And th this relates to something I, I'm not very good at, but am, am working on is, uh, is delegating as well, where it's really kind of asking for help. It's asking, it's saying like, listen, I don't know this, but I want to learn point me in the right direction or give me some advice. And, and that's how not only is it, do you take kind of the, that pressure off yourself, you also give the other person, whether it's your boss, whether it's your colleagues or so on, the opportunity to be of service and to help you. And so that, that also is a, you know, that's nice for them as well. So I'd say, yeah, don't feel like you've got to be the hero all the time. Um, and, don't be afraid to, to ask for help or speak up if you don't know something or, or clarify something. I love it. And you know, delegation, I like that you brought that up because that's one of the, the four things I'm working on this year. Okay, yeah. Being a great dad, uh -huh. becoming a better speaker, becoming a better writer, and delegation. Yeah. So that, that's for 2023, it's those, those four things. Those are great, yeah. We made a podcast. This was fun. How do you feel? I feel great. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.